Welcome back to the Pathway Podcast. This week, Pastor Mitchell Neldon prepares us for our upcoming Easter celebration. This is Palm Sunday, and uh, I encourage you, just a little plug here, to follow Pathway on Instagram. Uh, there's a, a pun that I can't take credit for, but... Um, it said, you've got a frond in me. Here's a sneak peek of tomorrow's set list. Take a listen and be ready, right? If you don't know what frond is, just Google it. It's, it's a funny joke. Trust me if you don't get it. But it, I, I appreciated the, as a dad, I appreciated the pun and the dad joke being posted over our Instagram page. So uh, this is Palm Sunday. And... Looking at Palm Sunday and the different events around it, and you may not be familiar with it, you may uh, know about it a little bit, or you may be very familiar with it, you may have grown up in a Christian tradition where Palm Sunday was a big, big deal, but looking at this and talking about it as a staff and, and trying to figure out where we are in, in the school year and what we're trying to, to teach and preach from this stage, we talked a lot about momentum, and momentum is, is something that, uh, for me, it's hard to spell, okay? I spelled momentum a lot the last couple of weeks, and I just can't get it. Somebody, I, somebody was looking at my notes helping me, and they, they said, what do you mean you can't? It's just momentum. I'm like, yeah, I can't get it in my mind. But, yeah, for, so for momentum, I hope this is spelled right, momentum. And you see the different things that are represented there, the different symbols, and, and each one of those represents a different point in the momentum of this Passion Week or Holy Week. And today represents the day where Jesus came into Jerusalem and he was welcomed as a king. And that is something that we're going to read from, we're going to celebrate today. But just to make sure everybody's on the same page, uh, let's get the definition of momentum. The definition is the impetus... And driving force gained by the development of a process or course of events. Did you get that? The impetus and driving force gained by the development of a process or course of events. It's a physics term. If something has momentum, that means it has motion going in a certain direction. It's a word that we get a moment from. It's something that, that is gaining force. It's gaining speed. It's gaining energy. What I think about all the time when I think about momentum is sports, right? Right now, you know what has some red hot momentum is Arkansas basketball. Am I right? Arkansas bat yeah, let's let's clap it up for the must bus going full speed towards a championship. There's a lot of momentum. And what the crazy thing about momentum is that it begets more momentum, right? Like the more that you have, the more it seems to get. And then something happens, you know, like maybe a motorcycle crash or something like that, kind of derails, something happens and it shifts momentum a different direction. So you have positive momentum and you have negative momentum, right? You have these different things that impact the direction of where that momentum is headed. And depending on your agenda, depending on your desires, sometimes that momentum is working for you and sometimes it's working against you. Well, Passion Week and Holy Week the week of the crucifixion and the resurrection, that has a particular momentum. Certain events happen that, that causes momentum to go certain directions. And just to give you a little bit of a, of a visualization of Passion Week, so today is Palm Sunday, 
I got a chart here. Walter, if you can throw that up there. Jesus enters Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and it's got a lot of momentum. The people line the streets, and they are welcoming Jesus as a king into the capital city of Israel. On Wednesday, Judas betrays Jesus. There's a little bit of a momentum shift happening there. And then on Thursday of Passion Week, Jesus observes the Lord's Supper with his disciples, and that night he's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. So just in a few days, he's welcomed as a king, and then he's arrested as a criminal. The next day on Friday, Good Friday, Jesus is crucified. Big momentum shift from where they were on Sunday. But on Sunday, the biggest momentum shift in history is that Jesus rises from the dead. The crazy part about this sequence of events is that God knew exactly where the momentum was headed the entire way. What we're going to look at this morning is the momentum from the perspective of the disciples. Because the disciples were a little bit clueless. And I can identify and relate to people and stories that come off as clueless because that's why I married Carrie, so that I could be clued in on some things every once in a while. And so we're going to be looking at it from their perspective and, and be looking at something that, that uh, fr- from their perspective, they're welcomed in as followers of a king. Then at one point, they see the person that they claim to be the Messiah and the king, the redeemer of the world, being arrested as a criminal. And then they see him be put in a grave, dead as dead can be. And today, we're going to be looking at a special kind of momentum, a subset of momentum We're going to be talking about spiritual momentum. You all know what that is. I have a very scientific definition of spiritual momentum. It's how you feel about doing churchy things. That's spiritual momentum. It's how you feel about it, right? How you feel about doing churchy things. Churchy things are like reading the Bible. I know in the church that I grew up in, every Sunday in Sunday school, the Sunday school teacher would ask, how many chapters did you read this week? How much time did you spend in the Bible? And the way that we're going to quantitate that is we're going to write down how many chapters read. And so then before we started worship, the Sunday school superintendent told us how many collective chapters that the church read. How much spiritual momentum the church had represented by how many chapters in the Bible that they read. Praying, it's a harder thing to quantitate, but, but you, have, you have prayer is a big, important part of your spiritual momentum. You have serving other people. Loving people the way that Jesus did, giving up of yourself, giving up of your money, making sure that you're sacrificing the first fruits of your labor to the person that even gave you the opportunity to have labor. And then, of course, to me, the most scary one, we're going to be talking about this in in a couple weeks, is telling other people about Jesus. That's a tough one to get momentum for. But spiritual momentum is doing those things and having energy and enthusiasm and wanting to do more and more and more. It's tough sometimes to gather that momentum, though. I'm in a season of life, if you know, you probably have heard my children already. Somewhere if you've been in the general vicinity, you probably heard them screaming. They get louder with each one that we have, right? We, Miles is, oh my goodness. When he was born, like the volume that he, that he immediately displayed, the nurses were shocked. And for us, in this season of life, Carrie works from home. I'm kind of in and out with, with my job here. It's tough for us to get any sort of momentum going in any sort of direction. 
Bedtime is the worst part of our day because it's just fighting these, this four-year-old and this two-year-old, trying to get them to close their eyes and just be still and go to sleep so that we can go to sleep as well. And it's tough to gather momentum. They got to do nap times. They got to do snacks. They got to get to dance. They got to get to preschool. They got to be picked up early. They got to do all these different things. And it's tough to have any sort of momentum in any sort of direction and what gets, seems to sacrifice, be sacrificed the most is our spiritual momentum. You may relate. I've been told life doesn't get any less hectic. It just keeps getting more and more hectic. You may be able to relate that your spiritual momentum, the energy and the enthusiasm, the desire, the want to do all these spiritual churchy things that you probably know you need to be doing, it's tough to find that. And it's inconsistent you may wake up early one day and, and pray for 30 minutes and read three chapters, and the next day you're struggling just to make it to work on time. Spiritual momentum fluctuates, and for me, I'm sure that you can relate, it's marked by seasons of boldness and then seasons of failure, seasons of making big decisions and great intentions, and then seasons where I realize Man, I'm not so sure I can do this. What we're going to be looking at to start off, already spoiled it, is, is the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. So if you open up your Bibles or your, your version app to Matthew chapter 21, if you have another Bible app, I'm not sure if one exists, but I'm sure there are. I don't, I've been accused of being paid by version every time I mention them, but it's a good thing. Chapter 21 of Matthew. And what this is, is Jesus is entering the last week of his, of his ministry before the crucifixion, right? This is the final week before he goes to the cross. And on that Sunday, Jerusalem is flooded because people are coming to the capital city to observe Passover. And so the, the population is swelled to well over what it normally is. And Jesus, he, he, this is fulfilling prophecy where the Messiah will enter in Jerusalem and people will welcome him as a king. That was foretold about 500 years before Jesus was born. And Jesus is about to fulfill this prophecy hundreds of years in the making. In verse 6 of chapter 21, it says the two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They told him, hey, Jesus told him, hey, go find a donkey, bring it here. That's what I'm going to ride into Jerusalem on to, to fulfill the prophecy. In verse 7, they brought the donkey and the colt to him. They threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. And others cut branches from the trees, palm fronds, and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and all the people around him were shouting. They were shouting this, praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. That praise God for the son of David. Hosanna was the word that they were saying, which means save now. Save us now. In verse 10, the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. For a lot of people, they were able to see the events that were happening and see the Messiah coming in. And the momentum for Jesus' ministry was red hot at this moment. 
the most positive energy that he had going towards, and they wanted to crown him king. They were ready to kick the Romans out. They were ready to put Jesus on the throne in Jerusalem, and he was going to usher in the new kingdom of Israel that would rule the whole world, and God would be glorified because of this king. But there was a difference in what Jesus came to do and what they interpreted the prophecy as. Jesus came not as a governmental king, not as a one that thought about the kingdom in geographical and political terms, but of spiritual terms. He didn't come to save the kingdom of Israel. He came to save the souls of the world. So he's welcomed, but his momentum is red hot at this moment. People are following him by the thousands. People are hearing the name of Jesus and proclaiming that he's the Messiah. The momentum is so red hot that the disciples who are Jesus' closest followers, that have been there since the beginning with him in his ministry, two of them, James and John, were brothers. Their mom comes up to him. You can read this just in the chapter before, Matthew 20. comes up to Jesus, and she recognizes what's happening, and she sees the momentum that Jesus has gathered, and she says, hey, Jesus, can you do me a favor? When your kingdom comes, whenever you're reigning as king, Can one of my sons sit on your right hand when you reign and the other one sits on your left hand of your throne? That's how big the momentum was. Where a mom was ready to speak up and say, hey, I want my sons to get in on this, right? And so Jesus, of course, tells her, like, you you don't know what you're talking about. I'm about to go. Where you're about to go, you cannot follow. And the disciples, their momentum is so big right now, so positive right now. They say, we'll follow you anywhere. Even if we'll follow you till we die, we will follow you to death. Even if this thing falls all apart, we will never stop following you. That's how much momentum that they had together in Jesus' ministry. They had boldness. The boldness of a mom willing to speak up for their sons. The boldness of the disciples saying that we'll follow you even to death. They are super bold in what they say. And you got to be really enthusiastic and have a lot of spiritual momentum to say, I will die for this. They're setting these goals for themselves. And Jesus is trying to tell them, hey, it's not what you think that it is. He is predicting their failure. He is saying I know what's going to happen, and it's not going to happen the way that you think it's going to happen. And so we see a shift in this momentum in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 50. So if you want to flip over there. And this is the day, this is Thursday, where they observed uh, the Lord's Supper. They observed what, what probably was the Passover meal for them. And they go, and Jesus takes a handful of the disciples, and he takes them to the garden. He's praying, and he's agonizing over the coming crucifixion, over the events that are about to happen the next day. And Jesus is praying to God, and he's telling those disciples that are with him to stay up with him. But Judas, one of his disciples, you probably know this, and you saw it in the chart, he he betrayed Jesus. He decided that he would rather have cash than have what Jesus was offering. So this is the point where, where Judas shows up with, with the guard, and he is coming to, with that money in hand, probably, with the guard for Jesus to be arrested as a blasphemer. In verse 50 of Matthew 26, Jesus says, My friend, and he's speaking to Judas, go ahead and do what you have come for. 
Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. That's some boldness right there. That's some boldness to be like, you know what? This thing is not going down like this. I'm going to cut this guy's ear off. But Jesus, he says, put away your sword. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would send them instantly. But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Then Jesus said to the crowd, am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day. But this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. At that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. Jesus is telling them, I know the momentum. I know the direction that this is going. And you've misunderstood all along. But this is exactly the way it's supposed to happen. And in their minds and in their hearts, they did the same thing that they said that they wouldn't do. They left Jesus. They stopped following him. They fled. All the boldness that they had from saying, I want to sit on your right and your left hand. I'm willing to chop this guy's ear off. I'm willing to follow you even to death. All that momentum is gone for them. All that spiritual momentum that they got garnered over the three years that they followed Jesus, all that has dissipated. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 69, we see a very famous story where in the, when they're observing the, the Lord's Supper, right, Jesus predicts that, that Peter, who's boldest, the one who's most influenced by momentum probably, he tells Jesus, I will never leave you. I will, I will die for you. These other guys are maybe frauds, but I will never stop following you. I will follow you to even to your death. And Jesus predicts that he'll reject him three times that very night. And so Verse 69 of Matthew 26, Meanwhile, while Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, a servant girl came over and said to him, You were one, one of those with Jesus, the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you are talking about, he said. G- Peter goes on to deny Jesus two more times, fulfilling what Jesus foretold at the Lord's Supper. Peter, just in a matter of hours, went from being probably the boldest disciple to denying Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. For Peter, all that boldness that came with the momentum of being welcomed in as one of the followers of the future king of Israel, as the Messiah of the nation, the redeemer of the whole world, all that boldness was gone And he failed to do what he said he would do. I can relate. When things are going well and I have a lot of spiritual momentum and it seems like God is speaking to me in these small moments and I'm reading scripture that seems to connect with with what's going on in my life and I see prayers answered and people are around me that are encouraging me. There's a lot of spiritual momentum, but then when something happens that derails that spiritual momentum, It's tough. It's tough to realize how fickle that boldness is and how quickly it can be replaced with failure. Just to kind of, if you're having a hard time imagining what boldness looks like in faith, let me 
You may be like, well, I'm not a bold person. I'm a pretty subtle person. Here, here's some bold things, pretty basic bold things that, that will be bold for, for even the most uh, subtle of people. You may read five U version plans, reading plans in one week. That's bold. I know some people, I'm looking at some people that pop up on my U version feed that you're just going through them. That's a bold thing to spend that much time reading God's word and studying. You may decide to read through the Bible in a year or read through the New Testament in 30 days. That's a bold decision. You may start waking up at 5 a.m. every day and, and dedicate that time to spending with God and reading in prayer. You may pray big, miracle-needed prayers. In your faith, you have so much spiritual momentum that you're doing that you may give up something that you really like but you know is not the best thing for you and your faith or your spiritual life, maybe a TV show. I can't relate to that at all. Just, just kidding. Um, you may reprioritize your schedule to focus on your family and make sure that they're involved in church. For a lot of you, that would be a big, bold decision that would take a lot of spiritual momentum to make those decisions. You may give up watching every second of every Razorback sporting event to spend more time with your family. That's a bold thing. It's a lot of thought to sacrifice. You may volunteer to lead a small group. Small group leaders, future small group leaders. You may volunteer to be a Pathway Kids coach. You may reconcile or forgive someone who hurts you bad. Those are big, bold, faith-needed decisions. And when we make those big decisions and we make those big proclamations and we start going down that path of, and we get more spiritual momentum, more spiritual momentum, and we keep doing, we read more and more, we pray more and more, we serve more and more, we sacrifice more and more, we tell more people about Jesus than we ever had in our entire life. And as quickly as that momentum was gathered, it can dissipate like that. And you can go weeks or months without ever cracking your Bible. You may begin to pray surface-level prayers that you aren't expecting much out of. You may get lost in binge-watching a TV show that adds no real value to your life. Your diet may get way off, in, in, <laughs> and you may gain a few pounds, and you are really struggling. You don't really know how to get out of this vicious cycle of unhealthiness that you know is a deeper situation, and it tells a lot about your spiritual condition. Your family time may go out the window, and your schedule really starts to bully you, and you can't seem to find time for anything, and you go to bed exhausted every night, dreading when your alarm goes off, and there's no momentum in your life at all. You may be creating new grudges or digging up old ones. And when that happens, you know the spiritual momentum in your life is it's not going in a positive direction. What comes with that, and because we're humans and because we have, we have a heart that is sinful, a flesh that is sinful, and we have to come to Jesus in faith to, for that heart to be made new, and for that flesh to be mortified with the spirit of God living within us. Our sinful brains and our sinful hearts makes us think that less success, doing the negative things in our life equals less love from God. You tracking with me? Our heads may tell us, I know that God loves me. I know that Jesus died on the I know all these things, right? 
but our hearts and our emotions, the way we treat ourselves and the way that we treat other people, we, when we are going through seasons where our spiritual momentum is, is going backwards, we may start to treat and to think and to treat others in a way that God loves us less. We may start to think, oh, because I'm not doing the right things, God's love for me is waning. That's not the way that God works. When Peter was in that courtyard and he denies Jesus three times and just a few hours before that, he told Jesus, I will never leave you. I will die for you. And when Jesus is in chains and he is facing death and he is hours away from being put on the cross, and Peter knows this, he knows the words that he said. He knows the boldness that he had. And when he denies Jesus three times and he hears that rooster crow and he remembers what Jesus had told him, do you think that he felt like God loved him less? Do you think that he felt about this tall? It's the way that our flesh works. The more bad things that we do, the less love we deserve, and we apply that to God. That's not the way that God works. God loved Peter just as much in that courtyard as he did when Peter jumped out of the boat to follow Jesus. God loved the disciples even when James and John's mom were vying for status in his kingdom. God loved Judas even when Judas was receiving the payment to betray him. Do you understand the depth of God's love for you? How big it is, how it doesn't impact, how your spiritual momentum does not impact how God feels about you and how much he loves you. When more grace is needed towards you, God gives it to you. When more forgiveness is needed because you have messed up more and more and more, God gives you more forgiveness. When you need love, God's love is unending for you, and he remains faithful to you. And no matter how you feel about your spiritual momentum and where you are in your spiritual life and your relationship with God, God loves you just the same today as he ever has. Think about that. Is there a relationship that even comes close to that? It challenges me as a husband. It challenges me as a father to think about the amount of love that God has towards me, especially in my lowest moments. And it convicts me and it wants me to know more about God and it makes me want to know more about how I can love the way that he loves me. God loves you today no matter how many reading plans you do or don't do. I believe some people need to hear that this morning. That God loves you no matter how little or how much you pray. God loves you no matter what you pray for. God loves you no matter how much you waste your life on the couch. God loves you no matter how much you struggle to be the spouse and the parent you know that you need to be. And God loves you no matter how much you struggle with hate and forgiveness. And Jesus we see where he sets aside our sins and demonstrates love and pays for those and offers us grace and forgiveness. God loves you today no matter of your level of boldness or your level of failures. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it's not going to be on the screen, but God showed his love 
his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. He didn't wait. He didn't wait till you had some good spiritual momentum. In John chapter 5, verse 24, this is Jesus' words. He says, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They have it with that belief. They will never be, con- they will never be condemned for their sins. They have already passed from death into life. He didn't wait. Your faith gives you that eternity. His faith gives you that relationship. And Jesus says you have passed from death to life and you will never be condemned by the bad things, the sins, the failures, the shortcomings, the negative spiritual momentum that you have in your life. You're free from that condemnation. In John chapter 10, Jesus says again, my my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father's hand has given to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from my Father's hands. And the Apostle Paul writes to Christian Romans in chapter 8, verse 38, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons. Neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell, can separate us from God's love. He just listed the most powerful things that we can think of in a spiritual realm. And Paul is telling you, none of those things, none of those things, much less your struggles as a human being, can separate you from the love that your creator and your heavenly father has for you. Just because you sit there and you struggle over and over and over again with the spiritual disciplines that you know you need to have in your life, do not let that impact how you think God loves you. Your spiritual momentum does not impact how much God loves you. God loves you no matter what. Your spiritual momentum also doesn't change your purpose. And what we see is that God's purpose was the same for the disciples. When they were vying for status in his kingdom, God's purpose for the disciples were the, were the same when they abandoned him in the garden. God's purpose for the disciples was, God's purpose for Judas was the same when he betrayed Jesus. Just because Judas made the decision to betray Jesus, that doesn't mean that God had abandoned Judas. God still loved him. God's purpose for Peter was the same when he denied Jesus in that courtyard. You may think that your spiritual momentum and the purpose that God has for you impact one another. No matter how much progress you've made in your relationship with God, no matter how much you've failed, no matter how much you have had success, your purpose from God remains the same. And we see this in John chapter 21. And we see this when, when Jesus, this is after the resurrection, so this is after the first Easter Sunday, Jesus has come back to life. He's preparing his disciples for the ascension when he would hand off the keys to his ministry to them. And he has to have a conversation with Peter that had to be a tough conversation. Peter, this is the first one-on-one 
conversation we see between Jesus and Peter after he denies Jesus in the garden. So Jesus, resurrected Jesus, is talking to Peter. And verse 15 is where we're going to start. And after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked this question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Jesus let Peter know, hey, not for your sake, I know everything, but for your sake, do you love me? Peter three times had to tell Jesus, of course I do. Of course I do. Jesus knew that probably Peter, in that moment in the courtyard when he denied Jesus, that Peter felt as small as he's ever felt. The grief that he experienced had to be the most intense grief that he had ever experienced. And Jesus is redeeming Peter back from that feeling of feeling small and maybe his purpose had changed because he denied Jesus because he had once great boldness, but he failed so big and so obviously. And it had to be this intense emotions that that Peter was experiencing. And Jesus lifts Peter up in this moment, in this conversation. He says, Peter, your purpose hasn't changed. Feed my sheep. Be the man that I've called you to be. Be the leader that I've called you to be. My purpose is the same for you. All the disciples abandoned Jesus. All of them said that they wouldn't do it. That didn't change God's purpose for them. They go to take the gospel to the edges of the world. Thousands upon thousands hear the message of Jesus from their mouths, and they believe. Every believer, every single one of us in here that believes in Jesus can trace our spiritual spiritual heritage back to the men that once abandoned Jesus, to the men that once denied him with their actions and maybe even their words. The spiritual momentum for them, never changed their purpose. It never changed what God wanted them to do. And the Apostle Paul, as we wrap up, knew a thing or two about this. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, that's where we're going to finish this morning. This, this passage of scripture is, is convicting to me because, maybe may because of what I do for a living, but You look at Apostle Paul, this is a guy who made his living arresting Christians and putting them in prison to be executed. And God handpicked him. What's crazy is that that Saul, the, the Apostle Paul, thought that his purpose in life was to make sure that the message of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, came to cease to exist. And that's the guy who God handpicked to take it to the Gentile world. In chapter 1, verse 12, Paul writes to his protege, Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to, to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. 
Even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ in my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with faith and love that comes from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Every single person who reads these words and every single person here, you need to accept this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's you. That's me. Paul says that he is the worst of them all. Yet, God's purpose for him remained the same. When Paul was wrangling up Christians and and condemning them to die, and when he thought that his purpose was, was to make sure that the name of Jesus was stamped out for all eternity, God sent Jesus to die for him. That Jesus was hanging on the cross, paying the sin debt, paying for the failures of Paul. It's tra- and it's translated to you as well. That Jesus hangs on the cross. As we look to, to that day, that Good Friday, where Jesus hangs on the cross for, for our sins, you need to know that Christ Jesus did that for you. Not because of the good things that you do, but because of how much he loves you. And no matter how much you've messed up your life, no matter how much you've messed up already today, no matter how many people you've hurt, no matter how many grudges you're holding, no matter how much you struggle with any sort of spiritual momentum, Christ died for you and that demonstrated God's love for you. That may be a rare thing in your life. Love may be a hard thing to come by in your life. But know that the person that it matters the most with, he loves you and it doesn't matter what you do with this life. He's already giving you everything that you need to have a relationship with him. And all of that it takes is faith in you. Has the momentum shifted in your life? Is it going in a direction you really don't want it to go right now? Are you constantly failing and really struggling to get it going in the right direction? Know that God loves you and the people that know that and and you're just struggling to embrace that purpose for your life. Know that we are witnesses of his great love and beneficiaries of his great mercy and grace. No matter your boldness, no matter your failure, today he's asking you to be bold. Today he's asking you to love the way that he loves you. The band's going to come forward. I'm going to sing a song that title of it is Hosanna. We've been singing this song for a long time. Um, heard this song before I even really knew that you could play guitars and, and worship. But um, what Hosanna means, it means save now. It means, it means praise God. He's, he's doing something about your condition. It means that he is rescuing you in this moment. And what I don't want you to, to mess up this morning is that you may think that you got to get some things right first before God can save you. God isn't waiting to do anything about your spiritual condition. He's already done everything. As Jesus was ushered in as king and redeemer and Messiah, they were saying, save now, Hosanna. 
what I want you to know this morning is that God will save you now. And if you already have a relationship with God and your faith in Christ, and know that that's all that it takes is faith in Jesus. And you have that forever, for all eternity. It will carry you into the next life, into eternal life. But if you're struggling to live out that purpose, know that God has already done everything within his power and that his power is endless to let you fulfill that purpose, to live out that purpose. You don't have to wait. There may be some things you got to fix. There may be some things that some people you need to forgive. But right now, in this moment, you can make the decision. You can begin living out that purpose today. God can save you now. He can redeem your life now. And your spiritual momentum, because of the power of God, can be turned around in this instant, in this moment this morning. Let's stand and worship him because of that. Thank you.